0: Judges 8, Judges 8, verses 4 through 23 is our text. Now I want to begin our study reading verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint yet pursuing. There's a lot of sweet remarks that can be made. Of Christ and his church from this text, we see the, glor- the, the victorious captain in Gideon, and he's leading his people in pursuit of their enemies, to destroy them, to overtake them, and to bring them to an end. But this army, uh, this, this army is but a remnant. It's a remnant. It's a small, weak remnant. A mere 300 men that were with him, and it's described with these three words, faint yet pursuing, faint yet pursuing. Now Gideon's going to take this little army past two cities, and these two cities gave them no relief for their hunger, no rest for their souls. They were cold and harsh to them, mocking them. And this little army goes on to pursue their enemy. Why would they continue this pursuit? Well, because they believed the promise of God made to them that he had delivered Midian into their hand. That Midian was destroyed. They believed the promise of God, and so they continued on, faint yet pursuing. And so they go, and they return victorious, having defeated their enemy, and they put to shame those that mocked them, those that ridiculed them, those who did not believe the word, they were put to shame. Who was shamed in this thing? That little remnant army, faint yet pursuing? Or those people in the cities who confidently mocked Gideon and mocked their army and wouldn't help them? They were shamed, weren't they? They were shamed. Some men look at Christ and his church and they mock the church. They think that's for weak people. That's for people who can't stand on their own. It's for people who can't handle life and the difficulties of life and so they need a crutch. And a lot of religion is is like that. All false religion is that very way. It's lies. It's, It's condemning, damnable lies and heresy. But they do this because they have no regard for God. They have they give God very little thought, and they despise the true and living God, and they despise his Christ and his people, and typically the Lord leaves them to themselves, and nothing in this world challenges their foolish notions, and there no fear of God. Nothing seems to challenge that, but their pride and their arrogance is going to be brought unto them one day. All that they trusted in and have confidence in is going to be found to be no refuge at all. It's not going to stand. They're going to have no protection, no covering for their sin. So that refuge will prove to be nothing more than a refuge of lies and a refuge of falsehood, and it'll utterly be destroyed in an instant, under the judgment of God. But those who follow Christ in faith, they shall be satisfied. You whose hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is Christ alone, you shall never be ashamed. You are justified before God. You are justified by God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you shall never be ashamed, no matter how faint you are, <laughs> no matter how, how difficult the way, you have heard and believed the promises of God and continue on in faith looking to Christ your salvation. So to begin, let's see how Gideon and this weak little army is despised by these men of Succoth and Penuel. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6, and then we're going to drop down to verse 8. It says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint, yet pursuing. And he said unto the men of Sukkoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? Now look at verse 8. And he went up thence to, to Penuel, and spake unto them likewise, and the men of Penuel answered him, as the men of Sukkoth had answered him. So at this time, the men of these two cities, they likely didn't know what had happened to the Midianite army, the destruction of 120,000 men who drew the sword. They, didn't, they may not have known that. Perhaps Gideon did tell them, this is what happened. They're destroyed. On the other side of Gideon, the Lord has given us a great victory. And we're just now pursuing this last little band of men. And we're going to overtake them according to the promise of God. And, and, and we're going to defeat them. And so, I don't know. It doesn't say whether they knew or didn't know what happened on the other side of Jordan. On this side of Jordan, because they're now over, over Jordan here, on this side of Jordan, they've seen, most likely they've seen Zalmunna and, 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 and Zeba pass by with a good-sized army, 15,000 men. That takes time. That takes time to go, go by. Um, I remember one time... When I was a young man with my dad in, in London, we went there once on a, on a trip, one trip with my dad, and we were in London, and I was sleeping. And right outside the window, all I could hear is this loud clopping sound of horses going by. And it went on and on and on and on forever. And it was probably only 100, 100 horses. I got up late, finally out of bed, and went to look, because it was about 6 o'clock in the morning, and I looked. And I could just just see the tail end of it, but can you imagine a fifteen thousand man army takes a takes time to go by it it's It's a lot of logistics there, and so they see them go by, and here comes Gideon, and they can see them all in one little grouping, three hundred men, <laughs> they're looking at them and they're despising this little army that says we're going to get Zalmunna and Zeba, these kings of Midian and their fifteen thousand men, and we're going to take them, and we're going to destroy." Them, can I have some bread? Because we're tired. We've been up all night fighting these guys and, and haven't eaten anything. We've got no sleep yet. They look haggard and, and tired and, and weary. They're faint with hunger. And so the men don't, don't help them at all. <clears throat> what is shocking, though, is that these cities here Sukkoth and, and Penuel, they're actually, the, these people dwelling there are brethren, they're Israelites. They're of the tribe of, of Gad. That's where they came, on that side of Jordan. They stopped. They parked it right there. I think half the tribe of Manasseh and Reuben and Gad stayed on that side of, of Jordan. And so they're descendants of Israel. They're the people of God. They have the oracles. They have the law. They have the promises. They, they, they have the judges that are there and are familiar with what the Lord has done in giving them this, this land. However, they have no faith. They have no confidence in the promises of God. They're looking at only what their eyes can see. And they're taking it in, and they're rationalizing and judging and and using logic here. And they're looking at it and saying, I don't think so. That's 15,000 men. You can say what you want happened over there, but you're 300 guys. And you're pursuing an army of 15,000 men. So all they're seeing is what man sees. They're judging things by what man sees and accounts for. Samuel was a judge. He's not alive at this time. He's, a, he's the last judge of Israel. And when the Lord sent him to anoint a new king, to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, and he was going there, he was going to anoint David. He didn't know it at the time. And when he saw the firstborn, what did the Lord say to him? He said, Look not on his countenance. Don't look at his handsome face. And don't look on the height of his stature. Don't look at this man over six feet tall. Good looking, strapping fella. Those are things that man's strength trusts in. People follow men who are charismatic in that way, look good and are tall and seem strong and mighty and have it together. He says, don't you look at those things. That's what man trusts. That's what man has confidence in. Because I have refused him, the Lord said. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And David was a man after God's own heart. Now, we know because God made him so. God gave him that heart and made him a man after his own heart. And that's who God purposed to be the king of, of Israel. And so these men of Sukkoth and Penuel, they weren't thinking of the Lord's promises. They weren't, it meant nothing to them what the Lord said he would do for his people. And so they had no regard for the Lord or his brethren. The Lord, their brethren. Instead, they gave, in reality, who did they give aid to? They were aiding the enemy. By doing nothing for their brethren and despising their little army, they were actually giving aid to the brethren because they were leaving them weary and hurting. And they did nothing to to help them. Let us not be like that to our brethren, but believing our God who promised who tells us and promises us the victory is won by the Lord Jesus Christ. His promise is that you have everlasting life and you shall see your God and you shall be received and accepted of your God because you stand before his throne faultless, having no shame because you have no sin and your nakedness is covered by the blood of Christ. You live because of your mighty champion, your savior, your deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise of God. You don't need the things of this world the way that the world needs them. The Lord will give you what you have need of. You trust him and believe him and be kind and gracious to your brethren. Be charitable. Generous with your love to your brethren. Be charitable. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen that's faith these men of succoth and penuel weren't looking with eyes of faith they were looking with eyes of the eyes of man they were seeing as man seeth things and so this is how this faith in faith is how we are to walk on this side of jordan on this side of jordan right and when we speak of jordan in the scriptures, Jordan is a picture of, of of that passage of death that separates us here in this flesh and that heavenly, that heavenly land of inheritance, the land of promise, which is secured for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God promises his people, you shall be with me forever in the land of promise on the other side of Jordan. Right? But on this side of Jordan, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. We hear the promises of God and believe the promises of God. And we follow him in faith. And the Lord says, you'll not be ashamed. You that trust me, you that that man looks at and and despises and mocks the things that you hope in and trust in. You're not going to be ashamed. They're going to be ashamed. Who don't who don't hear, who will not hear, who refuse to believe the one whom I've sent. And so the men of Sukkoth and Penuel, they had no confidence in what happened on the other side of Jordan, did they? They don't believe. They don't have any confidence that the victory is won. Israel has salvation. She has been delivered from all her enemies. And they didn't believe it. But this little remnant, this little remnant with Gideon, they believed. They believed the promise of God. Even though they were 300 men with Gideon, they believed that God was going to give them the whole victory just like he promised. Just like he promised. Turn over to Revelation 12. Let's go to Revelation 12 and we're going to pick up in verse 7. 12, verse 7 says, and there was war in heaven. I'll give you a moment. Yeah, Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. This is talking about the other side of Jordan. This is talking about in the land of promise there, in the other side of Jordan, and night. Reminds me of when John recorded in heaven, he said, and there was silence in heaven for about the space of 30 minutes, about a half hour. That yapping accuser has nothing more that he can say. When he was sitting there saying, destroy them. They're defiling your holiness, your righteousness. They're rebelling against you. Destroy them. Just put this, destroy this whole earth. Destroy all those people. And Christ lay down his life and obtained eternal redemption for us, putting away all our sin. The the price has been paid by Christ. And your accuser is defeated. He's got nothing more to charge you with. Who can charge you? It's God who, who, who provided the Son. It's God who justifies you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's silence. Nothing more to say. And they overcome this evil one by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. And so that's the picture we have here with Gideon, this little 300 man army, this little tiny remnant. They believe God. (laughs) They're willing to go though. There's an overwhelming force. They love not their lives unto death. They're willing to go because they, they believe the promises of God. They know God has given them the victory. And our Savior has won this victory. Heaven, your eternal life, your everlasting life and inheritance with God is secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's secured. Heaven is secure for you. He has gone and prepared a place for you. If it were not so, he wouldn't have told you. But it's yours. It's secured. It's already there for you. Therefore, in verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. But here on this side of Jordan, what does it say? There's still a battle underway. Verse 12, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. But you know something? It doesn't even mean anything to us. In reality, it really means nothing, because where do you dwell? You're seated with Christ. Your life is in the heavenly places with him already secured with him. Whatever happens, they can't take away your inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's not you or them that decide it, Christ has decided it. It's already fixed and secured. The victory is won. Therefore, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The devil's down here causing what havoc and what he can do, but it's the inhabitants of the earth, and your citizens of the new Jerusalem, even now, brethren, even now, even now, we dwell with him. Now, this Gideon, or rather, this is Gideon's reply to the men of these two cities, verse seven and nine, and Gideon said, so yeah, Judges eight, verses seven and nine, and Gideon said, therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and into mine hand, Then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Verse 9, And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now, whenever we meet with thorns and briars and thistles and bramble bushes in scripture, it's a picture of the curse. It's a picture of what we are in this flesh. It's a picture of what, what we in Adam have brought upon this world our sin and death because of our sin and the ruin of our wicked natures and, and, and what we are. So it's a picture of the curse and Gideon's going to repay them with their own words and with their own curses and with their own works. He's going to repay them accordingly to what they trust him. Cursed things. Cursed things. So Sukoth it means booths. And both these cities are Related to Jacob, actually. Jacob is tied to Sukkoth and, and Penuel because Sukkoth is where he went with his cattle when he came back and, and saw his brother Esau, <laughs> who would have killed him before, but he, he came back in peace and he built these, a city of booths, which means pens for, for animals. These was to contain them, to give those those animals security and protection. And these men like the name of the city, they, they felt secure. They felt confident in their provisions in what they had. And so they trusted in themselves and they trusted in the works of their flesh. They certainly didn't believe God. They didn't trust the promises of God. They were professing believers, I suppose, as Israelites, but in name only. In name only. There was no life there in them. And so what the Lord is showing You, his people, me included, by the grace of God. What he's showing us here is that this flesh, our works, our good works, our righteousnesses, they're no refuge. They're no hiding place. There's no safety there. That's all going to come down on them. And they're going to be destroyed by their own curses, by their own cursed works. They'll be destroyed. Now, Penuel means facing God. And that's where Jacob had wrestled with God. Except Jacob prevailed with God. By the grace of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, he prevailed with God. And so he could face God, because he came not in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of another. Just as we, who believe the promise of our God in Christ, come to God in the righteousness of another. Believing he's all my salvation. That's how you prevail with God. That's how you're justified with God in Christ, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these men of Penuel, they weren't facing God, they turned away from God. And they were trusting their own strength, their own high tower, their own exalted views of themselves and what they thought was strength and might and wisdom. And God says, that tower you're trusting in, I'm going to destroy it. It's going to come down on your own heads. You're going to be destroyed with your strong tower. That's no refuge at all. And so we see here the plague of man is his sin. The sin in us, it's ruling and reigning over our natures by death. We're subject to dead things. We're subject to death. We're going to return to the dust because this flesh is yet subject to the law of sin and death. But we live in hope. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we're delivered from that death. We're delivered from that enemy and it has no power over us anymore. But those who trust in this flesh and trust in our wisdom and trust in our strength and our works, they're they're going to meet God, a holy God who will judge them according to their own trusts and confidences. And so it's going to be torn down. Turn over to Isaiah 28. Go to Isaiah 28 and we'll pick up in verse 15. This description of Israel here is a description of all peoples who trust in their own righteousness, who trust in their own works, who trust in that which they've built up and laid up for themselves against that day, thinking this is will save me. This will be my deliverance. Right? These men were trusting in what they could see. They were trusting in their strong tower. They were trusting in their wisdom and might. And the Lord says in Isaiah twenty-eight fifteen, because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Now, I can tell you, those weren't the words that the people used. They thought what they did was truth, was, was, was a strong tower, was sufficient to save them to the uttermost, and God is telling them, you're trusting in lies, you're trusting in falsehood, and when, when the judgment sweeps through, you and all your works are going to be carried away with it. It's not going to stand in that day. Therefore, verse 16, thus saith the Lord, the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone. He's been proven. God's proved him. on the cross. he He, he bore the wrath of God against our sin when he went as the substitute bearing the sin of his people. He's a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. When the Lord returns in that day, if we're still on this side of the dirt, when the Lord returns in that day, you won't make haste. When you see your Savior coming, great. (laughs) That's wonderful. There's going to be others that are going to be running for mountains and hills, crying for the rocks to fall on them and to protect them from the face of him who comes to, to judge the earth when he returns, just like he said, in the clouds with all the host of his angels and his people brought behind him. And so they're going to return, but you won't need to make haste. If you're still here when the Lord returns, <coughs> great Lord, come, take me. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And so judgment also, he says, will I lay to the line in righteousness to the plummet and the hell shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. Whatever foolish idea men have of hell, and they think they're going to do this or that there, it's all foolish, vain words of flesh that's going to be overrun and trampled upon. Whatever you think you're going, whatever station you think you'll have there will be disannulled. Your covenant means nothing. God will judge his, his creation as it pleases him in and by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all who look at this world and think, this is life. This is all that there is. They're going to meet holy God with no covering in their own works. And they shall bear the judgment of the inhabitants of the earth. And they're ignorant that God destroyed the earth once by water. He tells us that, Peter tells us, they're willfully forgetting that this world's already been destroyed by water. We see it in every culture they they write of a of a flood. Every culture they write of it. And he tells us, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of un godly men, right? And so those people who have no regard for God, they're going to stand before God in their own flesh. And it's not going to stand for them. It's going to be a terrifying day for them. And then there's the self-righteous and the religious people who look at their works and they think God accepts their person, but they're soon going to meet him whom they despise, the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation of God, the one whom they disallowed and disapproved of it and said, no thanks. I've got everything I need here. I'll take care of it. And what they're doing is they're calling God a liar. They're not hearing what the Lord is saying. But you've heard, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And we fear God, but not in that, that, that fear that drives us to labor in ourselves and spend and, and strive for our righteousness. We believe God. We know I cannot deliver myself. But we trust the one whom God says is your deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He's our He's our hope. And so those who said, Well not have this man reign over us. Just keep Him. We don't don't send Him back. We got this. We'll take care of it ourselves. Christ says, You'll die in your sins. Because if you don't believe that I am hate, that I am the Christ, the salvation of God, you're going to stand in your own works and you're going to die in your sins, is what he's saying. So this truth this truth where the hope of man perishes is witnessed in the following account, verses 10 through 12. So there, Judges 8, 10 through 12. Now, Ziba and Zalmunna were in karkor. Karkor means soft foundation. Think of sand. People who build their hope and their confidence on shifting sand. It's no foundation. It's no foundation. It'll come crashing down. And their host with them about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east, for there fell 120,000 men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba, which means barking, and Jogbiha, which means lofty, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And what that means is they were confident in themselves. The way men boast in glory in themselves today, right? They don't see Christ coming in the clouds. And they think, yeah, when that day comes, I'll deal with it then. I'll just speak to God. I'll talk my way out of it. I'll bring this to bear or that to bear. It's all foolishness. It's all nonsense. Today, when, when in our flesh, when, when we have no regard for God, we'll bark like a little dog who's behind the other side of the fence, Right? When something comes by and the way a little dog will bark, like and he's so confident in himself because the big dog can't get to him on that side of the fence. And so he's barking and he's very confident in himself, right? And it's just like us who are lofty and bragging and boasting about how great we are and all the wealth we have and the strength we have and the good works we have and, and all the things we've done in the world that are good for people and things like that, all garbage, all garbage. Men are confident now, but they won't be confident in that day. They're like lofty barking dogs right now. And they think everything's fine, but it all comes crashing down in an instant. And so that's where we are. We're very confident. That's where they were. They were secure. They were secure, meaning they thought they escaped death. They thought it was all good now. The, past, the time of death has passed beyond us. So they were very cocky and very confident in themselves, but that's going to change in, in an instant. In the twinkling of an eye, Christ will return, and then we'll see him as he is. So when Ziba and Zalmunna fled, Gideon pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zebah and Zalmunna, and discomfited or terrified all the host. Now these names, Ziba and Zalmunna, they both mean deprived of protection both names mean deprived of protection now zeba has the sense of a slaying of an animal an animal that's been allotted to the slaughter it's deprived of protection it can't be stopped it's slaughtered it's done it's purpose to that and zalmuna has the sense of the removal of the shadow of covering they're deprived of the shadow of a covering they they're now all exposed to the glaring heat of the sun. And, and there's nothing they can do <clears throat> about it. They're deprived of protection. But you whose faith rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why you're secure? Why you're delivered? Why you may rest in the salvation of your God? Because the Father appointed the Son to the slaughter for his people, depriving him of protection. Christ willingly deprived himself of protection. He did not call for the Father to send his angels and take him down from that cross and show everybody that he's the Christ because then we'd be left in our sins. But he stayed there trusting his Father and was deprived of protection and was slain like an animal for his people. And and he was slain to provide a covering He went and and bore the wrath of God bearing your sin and my sin, you who believe him this day, bearing the sin of his people, having no covering, in order that you would have his righteous covering for your sin, that you wouldn't be left without any protection and stand before God in your own nakedness, in your own works, all because Christ faithfully Lay down his life for you, his bride, whom he loves, his people, his children. And so thank your God for his his mercy and kindness, his life for your life. He died, was buried, and rose again to give you life. And he sends his spirit to regenerate you, to deliver you from dead things and trusting dead works that can't save and trusting in a tower of our strength which is all going to come down in an instant when Christ returns. And so, though we're weak and faint in this life, yet we follow Christ our captain. Faint yet pursuing, believing the promises of God, knowing the salvation is already won. The, The heaven is secured. The majority of that army has been destroyed by Christ. There's just little remnants here that are being dusted up to show us the purpose of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God, in His Son Jesus Christ, and where He goes, we follow, and we shall live with Him forever, forever, brethren. And so, we read at the rest there that that they returned. They 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 took Zalmunna and Zeba, and they returned and spoke to those men, and they he taught the men of, of Sukoth by 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 whipping them with their own works, right? And the Lord speaks of this too. He said, those which knew the Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes and they shall have their place with the unbelievers, right? And then of Impenuel, he slew the men of the city. He tore down their tower that they trusted in. He slew those men of the city. And our Lord speaks of this as well, saying, those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, Bring hither and slay before me. They'll die. They're only in name, those that are in name only, to believe the Lord. Those who have no faith don't believe the promises of God and just see things and judge things as man sees them and judges them. They're not believing the promises of God. But by the grace of God, you do believe. And he stripped you and withered your flesh and made you faint in your cells so that you have no confidence in the flesh. If we could we would have confidence in the flesh. If we could we'd build ourselves up and make ourselves strong and 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 forget about the 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 terrors and night terrors and being afraid because we see what we are in this flesh. We'd deliver ourselves from that. But God has brought you low and humbled you that you don't have a strong tower in this flesh, but you need him and you see he's everything. And so you stay right there on him, resting and trusting in him. And so Gideon arose and he slew those enemies, and Christ shall return and he'll he'll put to death once and for all all our enemies, and we'll be delivered from them forever and ever. And when the men came saying, Gideon, you rule over us, he said, No, I'm not going to rule over you. He's a type of Christ, but here he's showing us we don't have any king but Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall rule over us. We're all His people, we're His subjects, we're one body of the Lord who is the head, the almighty King. And so I pray the Lord bless you with His grace to rule in your hearts, keep your eyes looking to Christ, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places on that other side, Jordan. It's already secured. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all.